right, thank you very much. Good singing tonight. I'm glad we've had occasion to give thanks to the Lord. And I'm thankful that uh, you had a good time today and everybody made it back tonight alive after shotguns and swimming and everything else going on there and catching massive fish. Watched some guys today catching fish. That was awesome. We had a good time doing that. And so in any case, sure, thank the Lord for the good time that we've had today. How, how about we go to Genesis chapter 39, if you would, please. Genesis chapter number 39. Find your place, and we'll stand in honor of God's Word here in just a moment. In just a moment, we will. Okay, so while you're finding your place, if you can follow along with this. A belief is something you hold. A conviction is what? Very good. Something that holds you. And so last night, we uh, talked about a conviction about God's Word. And you remember that Joseph's dreams, that they were what? The what of God? Revelation. Excellent. Very good. The revelation of God to Joseph. He had two dreams. And that dream was, of course, that his brothers would eventually bow down before him. Well, they didn't like that. They wanted to get rid of him. And remember, behold, this dreamer cometh. And so they said, let's get rid of him. If we get rid of him, then we get rid of his dreams. And so do you realize that when they were trying to get rid of the revelation of God, they were getting rid of what they needed most in life? Did you catch that? They were trying to get rid of that which they needed most in life. And you know, I think about our country that has tried to get the Word of God out of the schools. It's been effective there and tried to get the Word of God out of virtually every segment of society. In fact, really only two Entities remain standing. It's not the government. It's not Congress. It's not entertainment. You know, it's not uh, the sports world. Everything is caved in around us when it comes to morality. The only thing left standing is the church and the family. And unfortunately, a lot of churches have compromised and a lot of families have given in. And so they were here uh, tonight really to try to strengthen those two. And so the revelation of God will give you rest if what? You'll rest in it. That's exactly right. If you will rest in it. And so what we need to do then is we need to accept God's word as true, apply God's word to you, and see God come through. That's exactly right. Very good. All right, take your Bibles now and stand in honor of God's word. And so tonight we're going to see this, that you must have a conviction about God's standard of purity. A conviction needs to already be settled. A conviction about God's standard of purity. So let's read about it now in Genesis chapter number 39. And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, <coughs> pardon me, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. So chapter 39, verse 2 says, And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him, and he made him overseer over his house, and over all, or, and all that he had he put into his hand. And it came to pass from 
that time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake, and the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he knew not all he had save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph, watch this, was a goodly person and well-favored. In other words, that's saying he was a he was a handsome young man. Let me look around and see if I can find an example here right quick. Nope. All right. So <laughs> Joseph, though, was a goodly person and well-favored. All right. Now, that's like, that's ominous. That's, that's, that's like saying something's about to happen related to that. You get that? So he's a handsome young man, a strong young man. And it came to pass after these things verse 7, that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, lie with me. Say these next three words with me. You ready? But he refused. But he refused. Why? Because he was a young man of character. He was a young man of convictions. Tonight we're talking about the convictions of a godly young person. The convictions of a godly young person. And if you're going to have the convictions of a godly young person, you must have a conviction about God's standard of purity. Not the world's standard, but God's standard of purity. All right, let's keep reading. He refused. And said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wotteth not, or knoweth not, what is with me in the house. And he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I... Neither hath he kept back anything from me but, what, thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against my parents? Is that what he said? No. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against my own life? No. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? You got that? There's the conviction of a godly young person. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And it came to pass, verse 10, as she spake to Joseph day by day, that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business, and there was none of the men of the house there within. I think normally there were. In fact, Joseph no doubt made it such that he wouldn't go in if there wasn't someone else present. I believe that was the common uh, practice that he had. And so verse 11 is saying things were out of the norm here. And she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled, and I like these next words, and got him out. And got him out. That's what you got to do. You got to get you out. He got him out. Out. Well, maybe you know the rest of the story, how that it came to pass when she saw that he left his garment in her hand, was fled forth, and she, she cried out and said that he had tried to abuse her and take advantage of her, told a big old lie. But Joseph would rather live in prison with his integrity than to have freedom in sin. And I want you to see this, verse 21. But the Lord 
was with Joseph and showed him favor, mercy rather, and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. The convictions of a godly young person. Do you have God's standard of purity? Let's pray here tonight. Father, we want to ask for your power from on high. Lord, um, I don't know where everyone is tonight in regards to their view of morality and maybe not just their view of it, but God also, Lord, their convictions about it and their practice, dear God, I pray that you'd help them. And so, Father, we uh, know that you love us and you love every young person here and you want the very best for them, the very, very best. You've got a purpose for their life. Your blessings are upon their life. I pray, dear God, that they'd be convinced down in their soul that they ought not to give in to temptation when it comes. Not if it comes, but when. Dear God, I know that many may be already drowning in sexual sin in some way. And I pray that tonight you might give deliverance. And if tonight, dear God, some have been prevented, have been protected, dear God, from sexual sin, that, Lord, you'd help them to continue to live right for you and be convinced about your best for their life. And so now tonight, as we give our attention to your word, I pray that you'd bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Sexual sin is destroying the fabric of our society. It's tearing up homes. It's tearing up lives. And it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. I want to ask you tonight if you have a conviction about God's standard of purity. You see, you really need to have your mind made up now. Like, tonight. Like you need to have your mind made up before you go back home. Um, just visiting with one of the young men that's working here for the summer and he attends a secular university in Texas and, and he said, you know, Brother Jason, what you're preaching, he was talking about last night about conviction. He said, you know, really that, that is so true. As, and he's given testimony about the university where he attends and, he, and he's saying, he just shared with me over, over the meal tonight a little bit that, man, that is so true that, that young people who want to live for Christ better have some convictions about their life if they're going to live on a secular university. And I'm going to go so far as to say on a Christian campus as well. It's not just out there. It's in your youth group and it's in your church and, and people are compromising rather than standing for what is right. And so I want you to see tonight that you can resist the temptation that's coming to your life, that is in your life right now. Listen, you have a real enemy in Satan. You have a real enemy in the world and its culture and its views on this very matter. And I realize there's much, much more at stake here than just what is conveyed here about Joseph and the temptation that he faced. The big picture, of course, is the dreams that God gave him, the revelation of God. And the, the big picture even of Genesis is that, is that God is working out his plan of redemption for mankind despite the sinfulness of man. And, and God can do that whether man lives right or not because he's God, but he'd rather use you and keep you pure. 
And so there's a whole world system that is against you being pure. And some of you might even be thinking, how, how in the world, preacher, can, can you expect that we in our generation would live a clean, pure life, both in our thought life as well as in our actual lives, when so much in our culture across the United States of America, and here's what I found, it does not matter if you're living in a big city, a big inner city, or if you're living out in a rural place in America. Listen, sexual sin is prevalent. It's everywhere. And it may leave you thinking, how can I stay pure? How can I stand strong when everybody else around me is giving in? There's hope tonight. There's hope tonight. And I pray to God in heaven that, that you would be encouraged, that you would be fired up, and that you would be helped tonight to see that, that you need to have your mind made up. I, I read in Proverbs chapter 7 how that Solomon said to his son, and he was exhorting him to listen to him, and he said, son, I looked out my window, out the casement of my, of my home, out of my house, and he said, I saw among the simple ones, I discerned among the youths, a young man void of understanding that was passing near her corner. Now, it can go both ways. It doesn't have to be the young man that's given in the sin and the, and the woman that's the seductress and the, and the one who is tempting him. It can go the other way around as well, but Solomon is speaking to his son, and he says, listen, I saw a young man who was, who was simple. That's the word he used. Now, he did not see a young man who was immoral. This was not an immoral young man who was going out to get into more immorality. The Bible says, listen to me tonight, the Bible says that he was a simple young man. The word simple means that he was naive. It means that he was young. It, it means that he did not have year of, years of experience to see that when, even though something like that may look good, that it's got a hook in it. He's naive. Another word would be this, gullible. Did you know that they took the word gullible out of the dictionary? <laughs> Some of you are saying, for real? Okay, no, you're gullible. Okay, so, but the, <laughs> the word gullible means that you just go along and you don't, you don't uh, catch what's going on. The Bible says that, listen, he was a simple young man. He was not an immoral young man, but here's the problem. He was a young man who did not have his mind made up. And when you do not have your mind made up, someone else will try to make your mind up for you. Now, we're reading tonight about a young man who had his mind made up. And I want to try to help you see why he had his mind made up about morality. And that ought to then apply to why you ought to have your mind made up about morality, regardless of what others are doing. You need to have your mind made up. Now, now here's the deal. Maybe last night you remembered that we were in chapter 37, and now we're in chapter 39. And you might say, wait a minute, you skipped chapter 38. Well, chapter 38 deals with Judah, which is very, very important to the whole big story here. Okay, it's not like God put that in there just to kind of fill space, all right? So it's about Judah, okay? And I want you to look at it. We don't, we, we don't have time tonight. We've got a lot to cover. We don't have time tonight to cover chapter 38 in its entirety, but I want you to look at the first two verses where it says, and it came to pass that at that time, at, at that time, so this is after they sold Joseph into uh, to the Midianites, and he's off to Egypt. It came to pass at that time that, that Judah went down from his brethren and turned into a certain Adulamite whose name was Hira, and Judah saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite. Okay, so do you get the picture? 
Here is Judah, one of the sons of, of, of Jacob, one of the promised seed, which by the way, I'll just let you in on this early because you may already know it, but Judah is going to be the ancestor of David, King David, and he's going to be the ancestor ultimately of Jesus Christ. This is this man named Judah. And he leaves his youth group and goes out in the world. No, he leaves his people and he goes out in the world and he finds an Adulamite. He has a friend. Hey, listen, you better be careful who your friends are. So he has a friend, and from that friend then, he also gets acquainted with the Canaanitish woman, and he goes in unto her. They have children. Hey, listen, the whole plan of God is jeopardized at this point. Do you get that? The whole plan of God, the whole big picture, because, because Jesus is going to... And so Judah then has relations with this woman. They have children. His children are wicked. God has to take their life. It's because of sexual sin in their life that they meet an early death. And so then uh, his daughter-in-law is without a husband. And so the custom was that that the next uh, brother would take her. And so it's a whole big mess. Long story short, basically this, Judah tells Tamar to wait until his youngest son is old enough to marry. And he goes down near where Tamar lives. She hears that her father-in-law is in that area. She dresses up like a harlot, deceives her own father-in-law, and has child by him. That's what chapter 38 is about. Here's what it is. It's a royal mess. I mean to tell you, it's a mess. It's a mess. It's a mess. It's a mess. You got it? It's a mess. My wife and I do a, uh, an illustration. We teach a, we taught, now Brother John Landy, who uh, teaches a college class at Southwest Baptist Church uh, for the Heartland students and really all the college age. Any case, we do a, uh, what we call an ice cream Sunday relationship. So we literally build an ice cream Sunday on a Sunday afternoon to, to make an illustration. It, it goes like this. It'd be a lot better if I had an ice cream Sunday. You all would be very much in favor of that, right? Yeah. And so we actually make an ice cream Sunday for everybody that attends. It's a great time. Okay, so anyways, but we start off with the bowl. The bowl represents the spiritual part of a guy-girl relationship, which, by the way, it's got to be a guy-girl relationship. Nothing else works. Guy-girl, guy-girl, man, woe man. That's always been a woe man. Okay, so that's how it's got to be. That's just how it is. And so anyways, the bowl represents the spiritual because the, the bowl holds everything together. The ice cream represents friendship because in a husband-wife relationship even, it's still the friendship that's the biggest part. My wife is my best friend. So the friendship is there. And then on top of that, you know, you have the, uh, the syrup and the nuts and the whipped cream and all that stuff. And that represents the emotional part. That's the I love you. And, you're, and, and you got the little names for them. And I'm not telling you what mine is for her. And so anyways, you've got that emotional part. And, and then on top, of course, it's not an ice cream sundae unless you have the cherry on top. And the cherry represents the physical part of the relationship. How we doing? All right? But everything, here's the point of the illustration, everything has to be in place for that to make sense. Okay? Right? Amen. amen. All right, good. One brave man said amen. That's right. It's exactly right. It's got to be built with the right foundation. 
So then what I have her do is I say, okay, but we're going to build an ice cream sundae upside down. And I start with the physical. Because sometimes that's all that a guy and a girl has. I'll never forget one day I was at, it's during my Bible college years, I, I came across a young man from, from Honduras, from, from Honduras, and a, and a young lady that was from right there in Missouri. And so a Spanish-speaking guy and an English-speaking girl, and she spoke no Spanish and he spoke no English, but they were very physical. Yo hablo un poquito español, entonces... <laughs> Is that okay? <laughs> so I was trying to help him to get to know her and her to get to know him, and yet they had the physical. I'm here to tell you, if a relationship is built on the physical, it won't last. It's the wrong foundation. So anyways, I have Angie, you know, we start there, have the, the cherry, and then, then I think, oh, you know, I really probably ought to say I love you. And so then she takes hot syrup and pours it over my hand. At this point, it's getting ooey and gooey and sticky and messy. And, and then, you know, we add whipped cream to it. And, and then we say, you know, really, we ought to be friends. And then she puts ice cream in my hand. That's cold. <laughs> at this point, the illustration goes rather quickly, okay? And so then we say, you know, really, we need God in this relationship. Look, if you build a relationship upside down, what, prayed thee, what do you have? A mess. A mess. Now, I want to thank God. I want to thank the Lord because, because He's a God of grace and He's a God of mercy and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. And I'm so thankful that God can take our messes and still make masterpieces out of them. And so tonight, if you've already messed up and you'd say, Brother Jason, I've already started, I've already gone too far, I've already got involved in the physical, then here's what I say to you. Stop. Stop. Stop where you are right now. Ask the Lord for forgiveness and watch God cleanse your life and then begin a relationship in the right way. All in favor, a good hearty amen? Amen. amen. Yep. Absolutely. Judah was a mess. But God's going to do an amazing work in Judah's life. I can't wait till Friday night when I tell you a little bit about that. But right now, he's a mess. That's what chapter 38 is all about. Chapter 39 is like a stark contrast to chapter 38. Chapter 38 is like the, the depths of depravity. And chapter 39 is like, here's a young man who has convictions. Which one describes you? Which one, which one do you want to describe you? I trust tonight that you want to be a 39-type young man or 39-type young lady, not a 38-er. You get what I'm saying? Yep. Okay, look, I want you to get this. The Lord was with Joseph. He had God's presence. That's number one. He had God's presence. Number two... The Lord had his blessings upon Joseph. The Lord blessed Joseph. Number three, God's purpose was at work in Joseph's life. Remember the dreams? Not the caterpillar. Remember the dreams? The bowing down, everything. God's purpose was very much at work in Joseph's life. Okay, so number one, Joseph had what? God's what? Presence. Presence. Number two, Joseph had what? God's blessings. Number three, Joseph had what? God's purpose. Why in the world would Joseph want to give up God's presence, God's blessings, and God's purpose for anybody else? 
You get that? You get that real good? Let me ask you this. Are you saved? You know Jesus as your Savior? You have God's presence. You know Jesus as your Savior? You have His blessings. You know Jesus as your Savior? Then He has a plan and a purpose for your life. You have His purpose. Why would you want to give that up for anybody else? It doesn't matter how good looking she is. It doesn't matter what a hunk he is. <laughs> if he is one. <laughs> you might got a 20. You got a 20, Brother Michael? Bless you. You got a 20? Who else? You got a 20? Hey, look. Huh? Look, here's the deal. I got a dollar. Can I trade you a dollar? for t- Rejection. <laughs> Brother Michael, we've been friends. You'll give me a 20 for a dollar? Hey, look, who you got? Who you got there? Andrew Jackson. George Wa- a lot more people know George Washington. <laughs> He's a lot more popular. Now, you're saying no. Don't mess up my illustrations. <laughs> it's an absolute no. You're not. No, anybody else? You, you'll trade? A, what? For real? Actually, I borrowed this from Brother Stephen. So, Brother Stephen, uh, uh, man, this is good dividends here. You'll trade a twi- What's wrong with you? <laughs> now, why wouldn't you do that? Why wouldn't she do that? Why? Because what she already has is worth more than what I have. Hey, listen. What you have in Christ is much more valuable than what anything this world can offer you. Do you get what I'm saying to you? The world wants you to give up what you have that is so valuable. And if you have your purity, don't you give your purity up for anybody else. For anybody. You get that? Because what you have is much more precious. Joseph was a handsome man. Strong, good-looking And Potiphar's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph. You know what that means? That means she flirted with him. That means she liked him. Now now stop and think about this. Here's a Jewish slave for whom a prominent woman in Egypt, Potiphar was a high-ranking official, and I believe as a high-ranking official, he probably had a beautiful woman as his wife. I'm just saying. I mean, even if he was ugly as a dog, he had power and position that he could have anybody he wanted. I'm just submitting to you that that Potiphar's wife was a good-looking woman. She was good-looking. Joseph was away from his family. Nobody was at the house. Potiphar trusted him. Joseph had been through a hard time. He was a man who had eyes. He was a man who had a desire for pleasure. He had all these things. I mean, the circumstances were right for Joseph to give in. And someday, you'll be away from your parents on a college campus, or someday you'll be at a workplace, and some guy will start flirting with you, or some girl will start casting her eyes on you, and I just want you to remember, and I want you to remember this real well, that I've already been blessed by God. I already have His purpose in my life, and I have His very presence in my life, and I don't want to do anything in His presence that He would not approve of. No. And so Joseph refused. The Bible says that he said no, he refused. 
He said no. And then he said no again, and she came day by day. And guess what he said the next day? No. 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 You know why he was saying no? Because he, was, he had a greater yes. You see, you've got to have a greater yes if you're going to be able to say no. And then the Bible says that she caught him one day when nobody else was around, and she laid her hands on his garment, saying, lie with me. And the Bible says that he got him out. I don't know if I could do that move again. <laughs> but somehow, he got, I'm just trying to picture it in my mind. How did he get out of that? And so somehow he got out of his clothes, and he was gone. He got him out. You know the reason why you give in to some temptation? Because you stay around too long. The Bible says that Joseph got him out in a hurry. He refused her boldly. He refused her repeatedly. He refused her immediately. And listen, if you're going to be a, a young person with a godly conviction, the conviction about God's standard of purity, because Joseph said, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Hey, listen, he was convinced in his soul that he ought not to give up in a moment what he wanted most, and that would be God's will and God's blessings and God's purpose in his life. And I'm begging you and pleading with you and beseeching you tonight as you know Christ to do the exact same thing. Get you out. Why? Because there's a greater yes. Hey, I'm here to tell you that that desire that you have for that young man, your young lady, is a right and natural desire. And that, young, that desire that you have as a young man towards a young lady, in the proper context, with her daddy's approval, huh? if not, then you might hear something like this. <laughs> hey, that's a good desire. I like, to, I like to say it this way. A fire in the house is fine as long as it's in the fireplace. You get what I'm saying to you? A fire in the house is fine as long as it's in the fireplace. But if it gets out of the fireplace into the rest of the house, you got problems. Somebody call 911. You get what I'm saying? Hey, water in a river is fine as long as it's within its banks. But when the water gets out of its banks, then it destroys homes. Hey, I'm saying to you tonight that that sexual desire that you have, that sexual desire that Joseph had, I mean, he's going to go on and marry, and he's going to marry right. But the sexual desire that you have is right as long as it's within its parameters. But you've got to be able to say no so that you can say yes. See, I know that some of you young ladies, I mean, you've had, your, you've had your wedding planned ever since you've been in the second grade. I mean, in the second grade, you had it picked out. Your colors, you had the flowers picked out, the music picked out, the church picked out, the preacher picked out, the bridesmaids picked out. All you needed was a man. <laughs> and I'm saying to you that to be able to say yes to the right young man, you've got to say to no to that bozo and to that bozo and to that bozo and to that bozo and to that bozo. So that you can say yes to that man. <laughs> I mean, just imagine you're driving on the road trying to get here to camp. And what if your youth pastor said, hey, there's another road. Let's take that one. And then you take this one. And then you take that one. And then you take... Where would you be? Who knows? Right? 
You, you've got to say no to that exit and to that exit and that exit and that exit to be able to say yes to that road and that road and that road and end up here at Ironwood. Is this making sense? And so for you to marry the right young man, young lady, you're going to have to say no to a whole bunch of bozos. And young men, if you're going to say yes to the right young lady, you're going to have to say no to a bunch of bozos. <laughs> Spanish form of bozo, don't you know? <laughs> no to that bozon and that bozon and that bozon. Listen, you're going to have to just wait on God is what you're going to have to do. I'm so thankful to God that God helped me. I'm telling you, I had a girlfriend in the eighth grade. She was my girlfriend for a whole month. Like a record in the eighth grade, brother. And she was a good-looking young lady, a, good, uh, a beautiful young lady, a cheerleader. Huh? Yeah, I had hair. <laughs> and she was my girlfriend for a whole month. I had, val- I had, had flowers for her on Valentine's. And then on Valentine's Day. She dumped me. (laughs) Can you believe this? On Valentine's Day, she dumped me. I was tore up. Tore up. I gave the flowers to another girl, but still I was tore up. (laughs) But I got to tell you, now I look back on it, and I think that was the best thing that happened to me in the eighth grade. (laughs) You say, you're crazy. No, I'll tell you what, at youth camp and youth conference, God began to get a hold of my heart, and I started going to youth rallies on a Friday night. And then at one youth rally, I, I was in a Bible quiz, and after the youth rally, we went to McDonald's because you've got to go to McDonald's after a, after a youth rally because it's like one of the fundamentals of the faith. You just have to go to McDonald's. And so we were there in McDonald's, and, and, and it's like God spoke to my heart. I was talking to another young lady who was in the Bible quiz, and it's like God said, you need to get to know her. She's a brown-haired, brown-eyed girl. And I said, yes, sir, can do, glad to, and I did. <laughs> I'm so glad I got dumped in the eighth grade because then God worked it out for Angie Decker, who was my youth pastor's daughter. You better be careful how you treat your youth pastor's kids and stuff like this. We've got three boys, Tyler, Trevor, Trenton, and a dog named Tucker. I'm telling you, life is good. I'm loving it. <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm not sure where that came from. It in my life because I was on a crash course. You get what I'm saying to you tonight? I just think about old Adam there in the garden as God took the rib and made a woman from that rib. You know, not from the head that she should rule over him, not from the feet that he should tread upon her, but from his side that he should protect her. Man, we got the alls going. And I just imagine, you know, I mean, there's Adam in, in the garden. I mean, he's been, he's been busy all day long, you know, naming all the animals. You ever, you ever think about it? I mean, there's Mr. Horse and Mrs. Horse, Mr. Cow and Mrs. Cow, Mr. Pig and Mrs. Piz, Mr. Mr. Frog and Mrs. Frog, Mr. Dog and Mrs. Dog. Help meat for Adam. Boom, he went to sleep. Bam, God gave him a powerful anesthetic, took his rib. <laughs> we got a man hurting over here. <laughs> And he brought her, the Bible says he brought her unto the man. Hey, look, it wasn't like God said, look, Adam, she's somewhere here in the garden. I've hidden her. Now you go find her. (laughs) He didn't have to do that. Not at all. God brought her unto the man. And I'm just thinking that morning when he woke up, or that day when he woke up, uh, and he saw her for the very first time. Whoa! 
Wow! It's in there. You check it out. It's in the Bible. Wow, wow, wow! Bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called, whoa, man, because she was taken from me. Huh? You know that's how it had to be. I mean, literally, it's in there. You check it out. It's in Genesis chapter 2. And it's like he was saying, finally, at last, after all this time, after a whole day. <laughs> and I'm telling you tonight that he, Adam could look at Eve and say, Eve, you're the most beautiful woman upon the face of the earth. <laughs> and mean it with all of his heart. <laughs> and he could say to Eve, Eve, you're the only one for me. I'm here to tell you. But I, I'm saying when Angie Decker walked down that aisle and her daddy brought her down that aisle, I thought, wow. Part of my bones, full of my flesh, she should be called wool, man. <laughs> no, seriously, I thought, wow, I can't believe what God has done. Her daddy brought her down the aisle. He did the charge in addition to giving her, because he's a preacher, of course. And, and he charged us, and he said, Angie, when you're a little girl and you got afraid, then you ran to me. Now you're going to need to run to Jason. I thought, yeah. And then he said, you know, Angie, when you're a little girl and you needed money, then you had to run to me. <laughs> he said, now you're going to need to run to Jason. I thought, oh, couldn't she run to you just a little bit more, you know? <laughs> He's exactly right. Hey, listen, I'm telling you, it's worth the wait. I understand the desires. I mean, I heard about that guy when I was a teenager. He prayed this way. He said, Father, Father up above, may I kiss the one I love. <laughs> and the answer came back, No. He prayed that, Father, Father, open above, may I kiss someone I love? The answer came back, no. Finally, on their wedding day, he prayed that same thing. And he prayed, Father, Father, up above, may I kiss someone I love? And the answer came back, son, son, down below, pucker up and let her go. <laughs> That's good stuff. But until then, you got to wait. you got to wait. I mean, I heard about that other guy at youth camp, and he was holding hands with his girlfriend at youth camp. At youth camp. At youth camp. Youth pastor came up to him and said, young man, don't you know the Bible says that it's good for a man not, 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 not to touch a woman? He said, yes, sir, but the Bible also says hold fast to that, which is good. <laughs> I'm understanding that totally. I get it. I get it. Sure. But you got to wait. You got to wait for God's time. You got to say no so that you can say yes. That's what you got to do. My little boy, when he was like two or three, he, uh, he used to go around and, and drink out of everybody's sippy cup <laughs> in the nursery. And, and we'd say, I mean, he'd go drink out of Emery's sippy cup and then Michaela's sippy cup and, you know, and down the line. And, and we'd say to him, Tyler, drink juice from thine own sippy cup. <laughs> now, why did we say that? Well, because we didn't want to get sick, right? Because if you get drink out of this kid's sippy cup, and then that kid's sippy cup, and that sippy cup, and that one, then you're bound to get sick. Hey, listen, you know what's happening in America? Teenagers and young adults are going here and there, and then to that person, and then to that person, and then to that person. It's no wonder, it's no wonder, it's no wonder that there's sexually transmitted diseases like there are, and it's no wonder also that there's all kind of guilt and shame and everything that comes with that. Everywhere you look at the dynamic of, of young people across America today, we're sick. That's why God says, drink from thine own cistern. <laughs> oh, what? <laughs> Say what? <laughs> a cistern? Cistern? Like a well? 
of water? Oh. <laughs> oh, boy. Just about got to be a long night. But Ryan, I was going to let you clear that one up, brother. <laughs> Got me all messed up. And what, you know, Proverbs 5 is saying, listen, you, God's given you a wife to, to enjoy that intimacy there, and it's like a, a deep well of water. Why would you want to go to a mud puddle? Anybody else is less than blessed. Less than blessed. You know, some of you young men may be looking at things you ought not to, and here's what you ought to think. That's less than blessed. Less than blessed. And you need to go home and get rid of a whole bunch of stuff. You may need to go home and get rid of an email account that you have that nobody else knows about. Because anybody other than your wife is less than blessed. And you say, well, wait a minute, I ain't got a wife. Good point. That's why you need to go to sleep. And then what God did to Adam, put him to sleep, bam, go to sleep. I mean, not physically like right now, but I mean, you just need to wait on God. And some of you young ladies are, are corresponding with somebody that you know you ought not to be, and maybe nobody else knows about it. Maybe your parents don't know about it. Maybe your youth pastor doesn't know about it, but you're corresponding secretly, texting. And listen, texting will get you in big time trouble. What you text, the content of what you text, whether it's pictures or whether it's words that you're sending, hey, listen, stop, stop. In fact, it may not be good for you to be texting your boyfriend or your girlfriend so much, so much. Did you know that I grew up in a time when we didn't have cell phones to communicate between the guys and the girls? I mean, I didn't even get to talk to her for like a whole day. How did you make it? I'm not, I'm not against all that as long as daddy's involved. Huh? And by the way, you ought not send anything to her that you wouldn't want her daddy to accidentally intercept. Ooh! Isn't that right? Yes. But you know, you, here, here's the deal. Okay, since we're on the topic, I think it's good for, you know, if you're in a relationship, obviously you need to do it the Lord's way, which would be courtship, which means that your parents are heavily involved. Or your spiritual leaders are heavily involved if you have mom and dad who don't really care, you know. I mean, maybe they're not churched or, or walking with the Lord. But listen, God's given you godly youth pastors and pastors and spiritual leaders and people that will care about your life and, get, and keep you accountable, okay? Because you need to be accountable. That's number one. I told my son the other day, my oldest son, I said, Tyler, you know, actually, daddy's going to pick who you're going to marry. What do you think? The further I go, the more I'm thinking, that's a real good idea. I said, now listen, here's why. Because, you know, we're actually, we're Israelites. Because we're from the tribe of Gad. You know, Gaddis and Gad. And he's... Right. <laughs> but you need to have parents' involvement. But then also, you know, I think it's good for you maybe not to have all your time together and then go home separately and still be texting. <laughs> And by the way, since we're on the topic, when you're in a relationship, it shouldn't just be you and that guy or you and that girl and everybody else around you. And nobody even knows. You don't even know that anybody else exists because it's just, you. hello. 
Here's what you need. You need time together. You need time apart. Time together and time apart. It's kind of like breathing. Breathe in, breathe out. Breathe in, breathe out. But if you're always breathing in, you out. <laughs> you see, because what happens when you, you're texting, 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 and, and by the way, you know, you ought to just rest at night and not text in the middle of the night because here's how it goes. It goes, zzz, zzz, and you go, da, 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 da. <laughs> you have no idea what you just texted. Right? You have no idea. Just turn it off and go to sleep. But what happens, what I'm getting at, is that when you spend all your time together and you've texted everything that you know to text, then you're getting too close too soon and things get going way too fast. Because you've already talked about everything you can think about. It gets rather awkward. Yes. <laughs> so here's what you do. Just wait. Wait on the Lord. Do you have God's standard of purity? I need to ask you about this. What are you feeding your mind by way of the movies that you're watching? What are you feeding your mind by the TV shows that you watch? Because here's what happens scene after scene, which, by the way, if you watch television, they say that over the average span of time, over the average span of a year, you, you see 14,000 sexual situations by public television and what happens is your mind gets inundated with that and then you also put into the mix the music that you listen to and if it's not good godly music then it's definitely going to have sexual references to it and what what's happening is even if you're trying to keep your purity it's like it's weakening you down and down and your guards being dropped and you're thinking well what's the use anyways and you just give in Do you have God's standard of purity when it comes to your phone? Do you have God's standard of purity when it comes to your music? When it comes to what you're reading by way of novels or whatever it is, listen, some of you shouldn't be reading the novels that you're reading. The books or whatever you're reading. And, and do you have God's standard of purity when it comes to your video games? And do you have God's standard of pu purity when it comes to your dress? Because the way you dress is a reflection of really what's in your heart. And if you dress provocatively, then what you're trying to do is you're trying to do the work of grabbing somebody or getting somebody to get your, their attention on you when really what you need to do is just let God. Which, by the way, modesty is not just for girls. It's for guys and girls. Do you have God's standard? I'm not talking about the world standard. I'm asking, do you have God's standard of purity when it comes to your dress? Listen, you have a very precious gift that you need to wrap. And keep it wrapped. How are we doing? Do you have God's standard of purity when it comes to your computer? Hey, listen, you don't need to have a computer in your room all by yourself. You don't need to have a television in your room all by yourself. You, you, you can't handle that. I'm saying to you, you're setting yourself up for failure. You need to have God's standard of purity about your relationships and when you're with somebody. And you ought not to be alone with anybody unless you're with others. <laughs> Did you get that? Oh. Do you have God's standard of purity? You know, we're here tonight because Joseph had God's standard of purity. He had God's blessings. He had God's presence. He had God's purpose. You've got God's blessings. You've got God's presence. You've got his purpose at work in your life. Don't give it up for anyone or anything. Just trust him.
You with me tonight? Say amen. amen. You want to have God's standard of purity? He's given you the Holy Spirit to make you pure. It's not up to you. If it's up to you, you wouldn't last. But if you'll tap into the strength and grace of God, then you can do right. Which means, of course, that you need to be saved. You need to be in a relationship with the Lord. Because that relationship with the Lord will insulate you from others that try to get in. Would you bow your head with me here tonight? As we